I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. This week, a uh, you know a name in the sports media business who really doesn't need much of an introduction from me. Joe Buck is a longtime Fox Sports broadcaster. He is the lead broadcaster for that network on the NFL, Major League Baseball, Fox's coverage of golf. He and Troy Aikman and Aaron Andrews will uh, not only do Thursday Night Football and Sunday games, they will call Super Bowl uh, L1V this year. Uh, just saw a note, uh, probably from my guy Krupe at Ad Age, where ads are now going for 5.6 million per 30 second spot. That is a record when it comes to a Super Bowl. Joe and I, it's always it, Joe is really. Uh, I appreciate talking to him because I think when I have these podcasts, I think it lets people into uh, a little bit of a different side of Joe Buck. Uh, I don't want to say humanizing him because that's a little bit patronizing but it just sort of gives you that like whatever you think of Joe Buck sort of from the Twitter world it's it's not really it's not it's not really the case and so I I enjoy him being on podcasts and I think we get into some topics in different places including his personal life that he might not go into with other uh podcasts and uh and I again I appreciate his time so coming up a uh about a half hour conversation with Joe Buck on the sports media podcast All right, as I said at the top, giving all of Joe Buck's uh, various uh, assignments, longtime Fox Sports broadcaster, network's lead broadcaster from the NFL, Major League Baseball, Fox's coverage of golf, and uh, I should mention he and Troy Aikman will call the upcoming Super Bowl this year, Super Bowl uh, L1V, where ads are going for a slick $5.6 million per 30-second spot. Joe Buck, it's been a while that I've done a podcast with you. Welcome back. You know, as you said, the Roman numerals for Super Bowl 54, I think we're up to, it reminded me uh, of high school math classes. And at the time, I had no idea why I was being forced how to read Roman numerals. Little did I know later in my life, I would have to see, what is it, L-I-V? And know that that's, 54, I guess, as I'm going out on a limb, but the whole, you know, I before X is X is 10 and the I comes before X and that makes it nine. And yeah, I, I, I didn't know back then, but I know now and I'm, I'm using it every three years. Yeah. It's, it's very, you know, it's, it, it connotates stature with these Roman numerals. So I understand why the NFL did it. By the way, I, I should point out, I think you know this. The last time I did a podcast with you, uh, I asked you your favorite curse word, and you cursed within the first minute of of a podcast, which I had to be a record at the time. So I'm not asking you to do that again, but I I did want to publicly let's th- beat it I, shit. <laughs> I did want to publicly thank you for dropping that, uh, you know, create a little bit of a buzz. So I appreciate that very much. 
Nothing, uh, nothing creates a buzz like a guy on network TV saying bad words on a podcast. <laughs> that's kind of my, uh, that's kind of my go-to. Yeah, it shows you where my career is, Joe. There you go. Um, so you're uh... <laughs> the only reason why I'm on Brockmire, <laughs> by the way. So here's where I want to start. We'll get to a little bit of serious stuff. You're, uh, you know, and doing a little bit of research yesterday. I saw, I was reading some stuff on your dad, and he broadcast into his seventies. Um, everybody knows Joe's dad, Jack Buck, one of the iconic voices of his era, very famous St. Louis Cardinals broadcaster as well. And I want, so here's where I wanted to start. Like this, we're at a different time. It's 2019. You have a different life. You have young children now, but does what your dad did broadcasting into his seventies, does that philosophically interest you? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I got myself into trouble a few years ago when I was promoting my book and somebody asked me, Uh, over the winter when all this stuff kind of piles up and I'm tired and I'm thinking about the past World Series. I don't know if I was coming off the Cubs, maybe winning in 2016, whatever the timing was. And I said, you know, at some point here soon, uh, it's going to be time for somebody else to do the World Series, at least nationally. Um, And, you know, I said that then and, and I wasn't being flippant about it I, I i meant what i said and then you know i worked another year with john smoltz and i enjoyed it so much that it, it felt like i wanted to match my contract up baseball wise with john's so i went back into that thankfully fox wanted me to continue doing it that's that's always uh obviously the biggest part of the equation but i i think when you ask me that question i think of where i am now at 50 with one and a half year old twin boys I think 20 years from now, and I, I just don't see with the intensity that there is doing what I and we do uh, on a national level now, uh, with that intensity that, that it's something that I'm going to want to do. Uh, maybe, you know, who knows what, what life brings. Maybe I don't do tomorrow's game as we sit here on Wednesday uh, and, and it's the Cowboys and the bears, you know, you don't know what's around the corner. So it's, it's hard to make long-term plans in any business, especially with rights changing. And uh, you know, the, the entire business structure could change by, by the time I'm 70. Uh, but I, I just don't think with, with the kind of intensity, the scrutiny, the way this job has been trending over the last five, six years that, Doing it into my 70s, I, I just I don't think I would do that to myself. And I think my wife or my kids by that point would tap me on the shoulder and say, Dad, why don't you just uh, sit over here for a while and let somebody else go about this? You uh, you mentioned that you turned 50 uh, in April. And obviously you have uh, very young children, so it's a different kind of 50 for sure. But did that number have some kind of professional or personal meaning for you in relation to this larger picture we're talking about your broadcast career? You were always the young guy in the booth. You know, now you're not the young guy in the booth. No, you're right. And that's exactly where I was going to go. You know, I think 40 had more of an impact on my life. I think when you look back on that, that's when a lot of things personally for me changed. Uh, That's when uh, I went through a divorce. That's when I had teenage daughters and I was, uh, I was trying to piece together a personal life that was, you know, at least, uh, I guess quiet enough to allow me to go out and do my job uh, for Fox. And, and so, you know, for whatever reason, when I hit 40, a lot of stuff changed in my life. Uh, then I went through the vocal issue uh, shortly thereafter and got over that. And so now, you know, when I hit 50, 
it is weird because I still I, I still kind of see myself as my dad's kid, as nuts as that sounds. And you know he's been he's been gone for almost twenty years. Uh, I've been at Fox for you know this is my twenty sixth season I guess at Fox. Uh, but I you know when I talk to Aaron Rodgers uh, in a production meeting or I talk talk to Matt Nagy and in, in a production meeting, I still feel like they're older than me because I got into this at such a young age. And it, it's so preposterous to even think that, you know, that I would, that I would mentally have that feel, but I, do. Um, I, I still feel like a kid. And, and I think maybe that's good. That's probably good for all that I've, I've taken on here over the past couple of years. But uh, yeah, when I, when I hear 50 and then you see some of these younger guys coming up like a Joe Davis or whoever, uh, you start realizing that you're not the kid anymore and you're not the 27 year old doing the world series. Uh, and, and it's, it's a little, uh, it's a little jarring, but, uh, it also, you know, I, I look back and I'm, I'm proud of the body of work and I'm proud of starting at the age that I started at and, and all that I took on and, you know, handled, uh, to be able to talk to you as a 50 year old, getting ready to do a, a few big games here down the stretch. You know, I could have I, I could have failed back then, and uh, you know, I I, I would have been flushed out of this business. I think twice as quick uh, as I otherwise might have been, and uh, you know, that didn't happen. Joe, does a does a Super Bowl year feel different when you're? I know you've done a number of them now, and you've obviously done the World Series, but does it even given your experience? Does this year feel different because at the end of the year you're calling the the biggest television program of the year? Yeah, I, it does. You know, I, I think it's changed with Thursday Night Football because in the past, I, I to be honest with you, I, I watched as much as I could, you know, on, on a Sunday night or on a Monday Night Football game. And I, I learned, you know, I learned just through watching television, the AFC. And so I had some point of reference when I was talking predominantly on NFC games on Fox about what was going on in the other conference. Um, I'm not sure people really understand that Fox – you know, did the deal and, and they, we cover mainly NFC with, you know, dipping our toes in the water in the AFC over the years. But now with Thursday football, you know, we're seeing Cleveland, we're seeing uh, the Jets, we're seeing Baltimore. So we've got Baltimore as our final Thursday night game. And there's no way you can sit here at this point, provided Lamar Jackson stays healthy, thinking that, you know, it's, it's fetched at all that Baltimore could be in that game. So it's, it's a huge advantage to actually do a game with a team that you're going to see when it counts the most. And then, you know, that that's just sitting out there when the season starts, you know, no matter if you're doing a Thursday game, a Sunday game, the world series mixed in, whatever, you know, that, 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 you know, that flashing light is out there for the first week in February. And really, no matter what you do, the moment you have up to that point, that's it. That's when you jump off the diving board and you have to live with whatever comes out of your mouth and you have to uh, be as on it and as clean as you can possibly be uh, because that's everybody's last taste of the NFL uh, for the year. And, and you know, you've got 100 plus million people watching and it, it can get intimidating if you. So, yeah, this will be. I don't even know, six or whatever the number is that I've done. And, and I think each one has become more intense 
uh, as every three years rolls around. So I, you know, I'm, I'm thankful I get a chance to do it, but it's, it's not easy. And there's a lot of scrutiny on that game and everybody's shredding everything you say. And, uh, you know, you have to kind of put that out of your mind and, and just go about doing the same game you would do in September. You uh, you signed a contract with Fox through at least the 2021 season or an extension. You said that publicly. And as you noted on this podcast, that sort of connects, I guess, to John Smoltz. You've been really fortunate in your career in that you've had longstanding partners. Tim McCarver in baseball was a longstanding relationship with you. And now you've got a, a nice relationship with John on air. You've been with Troy for obviously, I don't even know what the number is right now, but a very long time. At this point in your career, Joe, I mean, obviously it could happen. You don't know what the future is. But how how odd or how weird would it be to get new partners in these two major sports? It's difficult. You know, I, I went through that with Harold and Tom after Tim was finished. And I was with Tim for 18 years. Uh, and then Harold Reynolds and Tom Berducci, who were both, you know, they're both outstanding people, first of all. Uh, secondly, uh, TV uh broadcasters uh, both qualify as guys who, who have a lot more knowledge about the game on a day-to-day basis than I do. And, and we all got along great, but it only lasted for two years. And then John Smoltz was available. Fox made the change. And now John and I have been together uh, for a nice little run and, and we should be through the end of the contract provided uh, neither one of us does anything stupid or Fox doesn't get a wild hair and fires one of us. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll be together, and it makes things – it takes away a huge unknown. I know when I go into the booth tomorrow at Soldier Field, I know what I'm going to get from Troy. I know what he's looking for. I can tell by his body language that he's about to talk. Uh, just with a subtle shift, I see that out of the corner of my eye, and I try to give him and I try to give John and I certainly try to give Tim as much room as I can give. You know, sometimes I, I listen to Al Michaels do a Sunday night game, and, you know, first of all, he's the best. And secondly, you know, he's got such a nice pace, and he's got, uh, he's got the ability to really talk as much as he wants. Now, Chris is, is you know, as good as it gets, too. But I, I listen to Al, and I, I think, you know, that's not the way I do a game. I, I feel like I'm trying to get it as, as free and clear for Troy as I can. And, and, and I think our producers are different and, and right on down the line. So I, I, I know what I'm going to get with Troy. And he's one of my, he's one of my best friends. And it, it's, a, it's a great feeling to go to work with one of your best friends. And, and John has been that same way. We play golf together. We text when we're not working together. You know, I keep up with, with everything that's going on in his life and vice versa. And, and that just takes an, an entire part of, of the stress of doing network television out of the equation. And it's, it's a great luxury. I'd like to think I have something to do with it because I, I try to make sure that that person knows, to me, they're the most important person in my work world, in the world. And, and if, if they know that, then I, I feel like they're secure knowing that I'm not there to stab him in the back. I'm there to try to make him look as good as possible. And uh, that's, the way I, that's the way I saw my dad do it, and that's the way I've always gone about it. All right, let's take a break quickly from our conversation to talk about health IQ. Uh, I'm talking to people out there who really, I mean, the kind of people out there who are keeping themselves in awesome shape 
you know, kind of people you see just sprinting past you uh, either at the park or uh, or at the gym, and you're like, damn, these people are in damn good shape. You know, the ones who average like eight hours of sleep per night, they eat a quality plant-based diet, exercise four or more times per week. Basically, you are someone doing everything right to ensure that you are going to live a long life. So because of that, isn't it time you become financially rewarded for this commitment to a healthy lifestyle. You look in the mirror, you look very good. You're doing everything right for your health today. But if you're not planning for the what-ifs of tomorrow, then it's time you do. The problem is, historically, and rather ironically, the health conscious have overpaid and subsidized those who are less health conscious. It's not a conspiracy. It's just how life insurance works. All right. Now, I want to introduce Health IQ. What is Health IQ? You ask a question. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you, people in great shape on their life insurance. So if you're a runner or you're a cyclist or you're in a CrossFit or you're any type of athlete, even a committed weekend athlete, if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, then you deserve to be rewarded for your hard work, for your great habits and more with affordable life insurance rates. Health IQ can save you up to 41%. Physically active people have significantly lower risks for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. And Health IQ is not just a lead generator. They take the customer through the entire process of applying, and the policy is underwritten by one of their top insurance partners. But these savings are not just exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get a special rate. All right, so basically, how do you qualify for this? Here you go. If you want to see how you qualify, you go to healthiq.com slash Richard, healthiq.com slash Richard, to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. And basically, depending on your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Let me do this again. Listen up. That's healthiq.com slash Richard to let them know we sent you and you start the process with the Health IQ quiz. There's no commitment and you'll learn even more potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to healthy living. So again, if you are a kick-ass athlete, if you have been doing things right, Health IQ is for you. One more time, that's healthiq.com slash Richard. Joe, uh, every interview, it seems, with you or every podcast with you always sort of goes down the you know, how do you deal with people uh, who hate Joe Buck, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the interesting thing there is that um, uh, the narrative on that has uh, shifted a little bit. And there are people now who I think there's a lot of stories out there, and I'm glad to see this, who I think appreciate your work uh, for your work. Where I'm getting to on this is, and and again, if my thesis here is wrong, please let me know, but... Having interviewed you and known you for a long time, I get the impression that, and maybe it's having young kids, maybe it's your uh, second marriage, whatever it is, there seems to be some kind of shift with you where you stopped sort of caring so much about what was being said about you on social media or what was being written about you and just sort of like sort of understood that like so much of that is kind of bullshit and then just went about your day. And I think my sense is even when you're interviewed and when I read interviews from you, there's a different feel to them. You can tell me I'm full of shit here, but that's been my read over the last couple of years. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot of uh, truth in that and what you just said. Um, I don't know that I'm doing the game any differently than I've ever done it. You know, I, I think, you know, you and I have talked in the past, and I think I've talked about this probably on, on this podcast, but I've certainly addressed it, that when when Chris Collinsworth 
Troy Aikman and I took over for Pat Summerall and John Madden. I launched into this stupid Pat Summerall impression. And there was only one Pat Summerall. And I, and I regard him and I regard he and John as, as kind of groundbreaking, certainly record-setting with the amount of time that they were together. But, but they are, everybody overuses the whole Mount Rushmore thing, but, but they are that. They're on that for NFL broadcasters. Uh, Al's there too, obviously. But I, I think of those guys, and I, I think I was a bit intimidated back then. And I, I tried, and I'm working with two people instead of one. And so I, I tried to just low-key it as best I could. And I think that came off as being disinterested. I'm the most interested person, uh, I feel like, in the business. Now, I, I would imagine everybody feels that way about their own work. Otherwise, you wouldn't go do it. Uh, but but that that's the one part that always pissed me off. Like he, he acts like he doesn't care. All I do is care. And, and if if I'm not talking uh, or going nuts the entire game, that, that's really me just trying to get out of the way, whether that's, you know, however that's taken, that was certainly the intention. And then when I went through the, my vocal issue and I had a paralyzed vocal cord and I was more worried about how a sound was going to come out of my mouth and out of my throat than what I was going to say, uh, that shook me to my core. And I was worried about things I'd never thought about before in my life, you know, like, uh, you know, whatever, a surgeon losing feeling in his fingers or, you know, wh- whatever the analogy would be in other places of business. And, and I couldn't talk uh, and, and make the right kind of sound. Uh, that was frightening. And when it came back, you know, I, I did kind of say, you know, fuck it. I don't care. I, I'm just going to do the game I want to do. People are going to think that I'm rooting against their team because they don't hear people do it. It's a baseball thing. At least I've convinced myself of that. It's a baseball thing because people, for the most part, hear their hometown announcers, their team announcers, for 162 games a year. And I could do a seminar on this, but you and I talked about this one time on the phone or we texted about it, that even directors cutting games, if you're doing a local package, the, the, the hometown, if I'm doing a game for the Cardinals and I'm cutting it as a director or I'm broadcasting about it, the Cardinal fans don't care about the Mets. They don't care about the Mets bullpen. They don't care about the Dodgers or the Padres. But when the national guys show up, you have to cover both sides and you have to get excited when the other team hits a home run. And to a fan's ear, it's, it's awful. I mean, it's, it's nails on a chalkboard. You're, you're pissed off as a fan. And now the asshole on TV is yelling and screaming about the team just hit a home run against your guy. And so you understand it. And once you understand it, you just kind of blow it off. And I think I've become a little bit more mature that way. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly secure with what, I, with what I've done in my career. And I go back and listen to myself at 27 doing a World Series on national TV at Yankee Stadium, and, I, and I, I've had, there's been enough time now where I look back on that and I listen to it and I go, God, man, I was 27 and I wasn't scared. And I, I handled myself, and in some ways, before social media and all that other stuff and the noise, I was better then than I am at times now because I was a little bit more freewheeling. So I, you know, I've gone through a lot of different cycles in my life and in my career. And when quote unquote Twitter reacts, it, that's fine. Twitter, Twitter's always going to react if you have any opinion and it, you just have to let that live 
and and not fight it and laugh at it and just go on and do your job. I've done it for a long time now. And if I sucked at it, I wouldn't be doing it. And, uh, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm accomplished at what I do. Otherwise I, I wouldn't be able to, to operate. I'd be intimidated and, you know, then I would really suck. Joe, I want to ask you about, um, your, just something in your personal life. And you mentioned, you referenced earlier that you have, um, uh, I think one year old, maybe it's a little older now, uh, twin boys. And as someone who's a father of young twins myself, the one thing that is really true, uh, and it's obviously much harder for our wives, but the one thing that's really true is just your energy level is very different, you know, as a, uh, it would be different as like a 25 year old father. And you obviously have a job and you mentioned earlier how you travel. So I'm wondering just in terms of um, having these very, very young uh, children how have you, at least at this point, sort of navigated the real physicality of taking care of young twins with a job that, while um, is not as certainly demanding as construction work or something like that, does have its travel and does have some other things that are not as easy as they would be if you were 25? Yeah, you know, I, I'm glad you, you threw that in about, you know, being a construction worker or, you know, working nine to five or eight to eight and, you know, or punching a time clock or working on an assembly line or whatever it might be. Believe me, I'm not the asshole who thinks that what I do is demanding or, uh, you know, physically taxing or can wear you into the ground. I know there are so many people. Hell, my dad worked harder in his career. And I saw it firsthand than I work, uh, even in 2019 doing Thursday and th- Sunday football and world series and all that. It's a great job. And I love to work. I-, I saw my dad firsthand with a great work ethic. I also, I also feel like I'm a good dad. And, uh, I-, I say that knowing that people could roll their eyes, but I feel like if you ask my daughters who are 23 and 20 now, who their best friend is, they'd say me. And, and I feel like at some point when my kids are able to put a full sentence together, my boys, they're going to know that I, they're going to know that I've done everything I can do to let them know that they are the most important things in my life. Um, and, and so the physicality of it is hard, you know, getting down as dumb as it is. I mean, I've had two back surgeries. I've had a broken neck uh, in physically in, in my past and getting up and down off the floor and lifting these kids. One kid feels like he weighs 3000 pounds. One kid's light as a feather and, and, you know, throwing these guys around and, and lifting them off the floor and changing their diapers. I'm in there getting as dirty as I can be. And, uh, you know, that, that requires flying home after a Thursday night game and getting up with them on Friday morning. If I'm in this house, they know I'm in this house and they know I'm in their face. And, and that's the only way I want to do it. So it is taxing and it is tiring. So worth it. And that's the beauty of being a dad the second time around. I, I get to see what this leads to. I get to be close with my daughters. And now I, I get to put that work in with my sons. And, you know, God willing, I live long enough and, and they're, you know, on their way to college someday. And, and they want dad to visit or they want to come home because they miss me or they want they want me involved in their lives. And that that's that's the best part of all this. And it's so much more important than, 
the other stuff we've talked about or Twitter or the Super Bowl or any of that. You know, at the end of the day, I, that, that's why I feel like I was put on this earth is, is to be a good dad and, and produce four now, uh, you know, good citizens that, that will try to do good in the world. That's well said. And, uh, you know, I've now come to believe that true love is uh, two two-and-a-half-year-old twins throwing up on you. And you still love them after that experience. Yeah. Well, I, I had that two weeks ago and then I got sick and then I, I headed off to do a game in Cleveland and I, that, that helmet swinging game. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got chills and I've, I'm getting hot and cold and sweaty and feverish. And I threw up the day before and, you know, that that's just part of it, but you love it and you wouldn't want it any other way. And then you have to go answer the bell for work. But again, so does everybody. And and that doesn't mean I'm different than anybody else. I just have to do my work on national TV and, and I like it that way. It's it's a fun life and it's it's all I've ever wanted to do. All right, a couple more things here and I'll let you go. Do you um do is there are there any sports that you watch um away from football and baseball that you just do for just pure fun? You know, and one of the things that's like always interesting to me is when I learn uh, you know, when I talk to somebody who's like well-regarded or well-known in a sport, for instance, like Adam Schefter, who's like a big NBA nerd and like the, his like most fun sports experience isn't football. It's like watching the NBA and being part of like an NBA fantasy league. Do you, is there something away from the traditional sports that we know you of that you, that you check out often? Absolutely. I mean, hockey, I'm, I've been, uh, my dad was the first voice of the blues uh, and he used to joke that he knew nothing about hockey, but it was radio and, and he could kind of fake his way through it. Uh, and, and he passed that love of hockey onto me and the blues. And then I passed it on to my daughters. So I, I, up until this year, this is the first year I've not been a season ticket holder since my early twenties when I was working for the Cardinals, not making a lot of money, but still wanted to, to go down and watch the blues. So this past year, when they came out of the the dungeon to end up winning the Stanley cup is one of the best fan experiences, really probably the best sports experience of my life. Um, and you know, I, I, it's the one thing I can openly root for, you know, people like you, everybody in San Francisco thinks I, I go to bed in Cardinal pajamas every night and I don't, but I, I get to open, I sit in seats. We used to have seats behind the net, uh, and wear blues, a blues hat. I've not gone to the Jersey yet. Uh, but, but be there with my daughters and openly root cheer, get mad, get, uh, get pissed, get, you know, have it be exhilarating. And, and then, then you get the whole national thing. And, you know, for as much as, as I admire Doc Emmerich and as close as I am to Kenny Albert, I get it. You know, when the games matter the most, you want your hometown guys doing it. So I understand the whole, you know, I, if you're the Cubs and their fans, you, you want Len Casper uh, to be doing the games. And, uh, you know, I wanted John Kelly and Darren Pang to be doing the Blues games because I know they're rooting along with me and they're living and dying with every goal and, and every penalty. So I, it's good perspective for me and, uh, and, and makes me understand that bigger picture even better. All right. The last one here, Joe, is your wife, Michelle. Uh, I, I'm sure uh, – as my listeners know, I pronounce her last name, professional last name, Beisner. Is that right? Yeah, Beisner. Then she went to Beisner Buck. And, Beisner uh, Buck. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so Michelle Beisner Buck, for those, and certainly if you're an NFL 
uh, fan or viewer, you've watched and seen her reports on ESPN. She's really, really uh, gifted in sort of long ter- long form feature profiles. And what's interesting to me, Joe, is that you you've worked at Fox essentially your entire professional life. Michelle has obviously worked at a number of different places. And while I don't want you to reveal anything out of uh, pocket here, you you now get a glimpse into ESPN through your partner. And I wonder if that is just interesting to you, given that you have worked for, whether you want to call them their competitor or whether you want to call them, obviously, a, their contemporary, you've worked for the other guys for so long. Is that Has that been an interesting prospect to get a little insight into the ESPN universe, a universe that you were not necessarily part of? Yeah, no, that, it's a great question. I, I And I've never really thought about it that way. But yeah, I, I've gotten a, a peek behind the curtain at another network. And I've become friends with uh, a lot of her bosses and, and text with them. Um, because I'm, I'm just, I'm a guy that, that I think, you know, obviously I've been in TV a long time, but, but I'm, I'm no threat to anybody over there because I'm at Fox. And so whether it's Seth Markman or some of the other people that I'm friendly with, you know, the, the funny thing is, I guess this is a bit of a departure from your question. I'll get to it in one second, but the guy who, who she's closest with on, on the, the pregame on Monday night set. And the guy who, when I show up to support my wife, who I end up talking to the most is Randy Moss, uh, who, you know, I had the whole, that's disgusting thing. And I still, if I check on Twitter, that'll be on my Twitter feed at some point, you know, once a day. And, you know, we've laughed at it. He was at Fox. He's a great guy. He's invited Michelle and, and me uh, to his home to fish. And, I, you know, it's, it's just funny how, how life kind of uh, brings things full circle and gives you a different perspective as the years go by. And so, yeah, I, I understand the inner workings, I think, better than, than most now at ESPN. I hear my wife's complaints. I hear... Uh, I hear what she loves about ESPN. We all have them. It doesn't matter where you work, uh, but it's an entirely different structure. Um, you know, Fox has maintained kind of that family feeling, uh, if you will. And I went from working for David Hill and Ed Gorin to working for Eric Shanks and now Brad Zager. Uh, and, and, you know, I can call them and and vent. I can call them and, and complain. They can call me and vent. They can call me and complain about something I'm doing. And it feels very, you know, non-threatening. Uh, so it's, it's a good feel at Fox. And, and I feel like, you know, my wife's worked her tail off first at NFL Network, now at ESPN. And, and I know both those structures because I've, I've heard from her what it was like at NFL Network and what it is like now at ESPN. She loves being there. They're great to her. Uh, she's got that same feel with the people she's in direct contact with. But yeah, I, I, it is interesting to finally get to see what another network is like. And uh, I'll just say I'm, I'm happy with where I am and, and don't plan on going anywhere until they kick me out of the door. Uh, Joe Buck really doesn't need uh, much introduction. He's a longtime Fox Sports broadcaster, lead broadcaster on the NFL MLB, Fox's coverage of golf. Uh, catch him on Thursday Night Football and Sunday Night Football with uh, Troy Aikman and Aaron Andrews and uh, the rest of that the Richie Zions, Rich Russo group. I will mention uh, for the uh, audience, just as you're on here, uh, I had to reschedule this podcast a couple of times, and Joe is a total pro 
in uh, working with me. Did not have to do that at all. He's not being paid for this pro- podcast. It will probably hurt his career, in fact. So I appreciate, Joe, you uh, <laughs> you coming on. Well, I, hey, I, things happen. I'm, I'm here to uh, accommodate, and, and I like doing it because I feel like you, you get the business, you get stuff out of me that other, people's, that other people don't. And, uh, you know, it's, it's another way for people to get to know me better. So I'm, I'm happy to do it anytime you want. Yeah, it's a smart, it's a smart, you do a lot of podcasts and I think actually that's a very, very, whether intentional or not, I think that's, that's a, that's a good thing for you to do. Uh, listen, Joe, I'm sure our paths will cross, uh, again, sooner than later. I wish you uh, nothing but the best, uh, and the best of health to your, uh, to your family and, uh, and congrats on the twins. It's an amazing thing. I appreciate you giving me some time today on the sports media podcast. Thanks, man. You too. Uh, be well, and uh, let me be the first to wish you a happy new year. Joe, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. This will be out tomorrow, and uh, thanks, man. Take care of yourself. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Joe Buck. Uh, again, like I said during the podcast, he I, I had to cancel this thing once because of, in fact, having to do with my kids being sick. Then a second time, had to move Joe because of, again, sort of dealing with this stuff. The guy uh, totally, again, he doesn't bet. He can, he can say what he says. He doesn't really benefit from doing my podcast at all. He, he, you know, the guy's going to have a nice life without doing this. But I think he actually appreciates the back and forth and the dialogue and getting people a chance to um, peek behind his own curtain. So I really appreciate him uh, making time and coming on. I actually thought that was a really good podcast. All right, prior to Joe Buck, a uh, conversation with James Andrew Miller on many things, including uh, ESPN, how they will uh, navigate the 2020 election cycle, ESPN and the NFL. Before that, Robert Klemko on uh, being an NFL investigative reporter and Jimmy Trina, who now does the Sports Illustrated Media podcast. Before that, we did something on Deadspin with Tim Burke. Before that, Michael Smith, formerly of ESPN, a uh, sort of an exit interview, and Isabella Kershudian, who is uh, moving from the Washington Capitals beat the Washington Post to covering Russia. If you like this kind of stuff, just go in the archives, check out stuff you like. Please leave us a review. Five-star review really helps, and obviously comments help. This is basically how uh, things stick around. Let me thank Patrick Antonetti, my producer, who really did a kick-ass job this week sort of moving and shuffling things around. As always, I really appreciate the uh, support from Cadence 13, Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, uh, Sean Cherry, and John McDermott. We will be back next week. I don't really have a guest yet, but I will work on that. And uh, again, thanks for the support. This is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.